morning, everybody. Wes, thank you for talking about that. You know, I love the idea of ugly sweater contest. I just think that's awesome. But I, I, you can ask the staff, I've just had this thing of like, someone was going to show up in like what they thought was their best Christmas sweater. And they win the ugly sweater contest. I was like, oh no. So if you have a Christmas sweater and you're not sure, Ask a millennial, they will tell you, no holds bar. They'll be like, yes, that's so ugly. You should wear that. Then you're good, okay? So anyways, really, I was just trying to think through my sweater collection and going, am I on the good list? Anyways, doesn't matter. Oh. So today, we, uh, we're going we're gonna to do something. We're going to like kick it old school. We, so, someone's like, yeah. No school like the old school. We're going to go completely analog. Well, somewhat analog. Are we good? All right. I'm going to use this thing. It's called a whiteboard. And um, it doesn't even have batteries. Um, anyways, because uh, this message, uh, I have to tell you, is less of uh, a sermon and more of a talk. And um, you're going to have to indulge me because you're going to see how... It's a dramatic effect. Uh, you're going to see how Kevin's brain works. And either this will go really well, or you're going to have more compassion for Carrie and the staff here to go, oh, we do really need to pray for Wellspring. But, so, can I actually get some, like five or six people to pray for me now? Because um, I, I just, I said to, uh, to Wes, he goes, how are you doing? I said, great. I have four messages up here. Um, I have no idea what yet is going to come out on here. And so we're going to do some real-time editing. Is that okay? So um, if I see you all like glazed over, then have a great day. (laughs) Enjoy the snow. Anyways, so can we actually uh, pray as we jump into today's message? So, Father, I ask that, first of all, that uh, if that you would use me or whatever uh, you want to do today would happen. Lord, I ask that you would speak. You'd speak to our hearts. And I want to encourage you right where you are right now, just to say, Lord, would you speak to me through whatever means necessary? I open my ears to you, and I, I open my heart to you, and I open my mind to what you have to say, Jesus. May I receive all that you have. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you've been around for a while, we're in the middle of a series called the, uh, the I Am series, where we're looking at seven statements that Jesus is making in the book of John um, of, of these I Am statements. 
These statements are powerful statements of identifying factors of who Jesus is and what he has for us and what he wants to be for us. Because so much of who he is comes from, from his, his true identity in Christ and all of these names and all these titles and all these I am things that he's going to bring up is revealing more and more of who he is and what he is about. And what does that mean for us? So we're going to continue this series, and today we're going to look at another I am statement. Today is going to kind of, we'll see, tie in with what we're going to share next week. Carrie and I are tag teaming next week, and we're looking at where Jesus says, I am the true vine. So there's going to be a little bit of overlap, possibly, between this week and next week. And so, uh, but today we're going to look at this passage in John chapter 14. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 14. We're going to start with verse 1. And by the way, just even John 14 could be a whole series. There's so much in John chapter 14, and especially 13 through 16. There's so much here. There's so much teaching in the words that John is getting from this encounter that Jesus is having in the upper room uh, on the Passover night, the night before Jesus was uh, going to the cross. There's so much teaching that Jesus has here. And I want you to imagine for your, for a second that that's the environment. They are in the upper room. They are in this room that's been prepared. They have shared um, a Passover meal together. They have sung songs. They've read scripture. They've rehearsed the Passover story in some way. Jesus has already washed their feet, and he's going to continue to give them teaching. Now, Jesus knows what's about to happen while his disciples don't fully know. And so everything that Jesus is sharing in this upper room encounter is coming from his heart of these things that he wants to pass on to his disciples, his closest friends, those who have spent three years with him before he's about to go to the cross, before then even these guys don't fully know it yet, but most of them are going to completely betray him and turn their back on him, and so is his father before he goes to the cross. And on the cross. And so all this stuff is coming out of Jesus and it's rich teaching. But you have to imagine that Jesus isn't sitting there with a whiteboard. He's not sitting there in a seminary class. He's not trying to impart all these different levels of theology while that's all here because of who he is. What he's trying to do is impart these unbelievably essential foundational things that are in his heart for them to know, not only for that next season, but for the rest of their life. These are going to be things over and over again that the disciples are going to anchor their hearts to in the years to come, in the time to come. And he knows what's going to happen down the road, and he knows what's about to happen in a few short hours. And then he starts this. So that's all context for what the uh, the I am statement that we're going to look at today. So verse 1. Oh, sorry. I'm I'm asking these guys to switch between cameras. There we go. We're going to read the passage, and you can look at the whiteboard in a second. Jesus starts this, and he says to his closest friends in this hour, he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And let me start right there. Some of us today, we can just camp out in verse 1, where it says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Let me give you a better translation or a more accurate translation for us. He says, do not let anxiety, worry, fear, and stress take root in your heart. Not an issue for our world at all? Don't let fear, worry, trouble, anxiety, don't let those things into your heart. You have believed in God. 
It says, believe also in me. Some translations, I think, capture the heart of this a little better. He says, you have trusted in God, trust also in me. Because Jesus knows that belief just in a cognitive sense isn't coming from a hard, uh, a hard place. It's going to be lacking. What he's saying, do you trust? You have trusted God, trust also in me. That when we're struggling with fear, worry, anxiety, put your trust in the Father. Put also your trust in Jesus. That's a whole nother message, but that's there. Verse two, he continues, my father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? Now, some of you guys know this and you say, oh, my father's house has many rooms. Ever heard that before? My father's house has many rooms and I'm going to prepare those place rooms for you. He has many rooms. If so many of us have thought that's, that's about heaven. He's going to prepare like some places in heaven. Now, while that is true, I actually think if you look into the rest of John chapter 14, Jesus is not just talking about an eternal place that we're going to go. He's actually talking about a house that we can live in, dwell in, rest in here. As we, as he still is preparing that final place. Does that make sense? And if all we do is look at this and go, Oh, he's talking about my mansion in heaven. That's waiting for me. And some of us are like, ah, you know what? I'll just take a shack in heaven. If that's when he wants to prepare. Cause if you read through the rest of this part, Jesus is actually talking about coming back, but not only for like the big day of Jesus return, but he's also saying, I, I've never wanted to leave you and I will be with you. And you'll look, we'll look at that in a second, but let's just keep going through this. Verse three. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. You see this thing? He's talking about a place, a a house, a resting place. I'm going to a place and I'm going to come back for you because I want to be with you. I want you to be with me. Continue. And Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? Did you catch that? Jesus said, verse four, you know the way to the place where I'm going. I love when Jesus makes statements like this. In verse four, he says, you know the place I'm going. You know the way to get there. And Thomas is like, uh, excuse me, not trying to mess up your little soliloquy here, Jesus, and your little, t- but uh, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? I love that. Don't you love Thomas? Because you know, if I was there, I probably would have been like, hey, John, you know where he's going? Do you know the way? John would be like, no. Why don't you ask him? No, I'm good. Thomas is just like, hey, Jesus, I drew the short straw. I have to bring this up right now. We don't know where you're going. How, if we don't know where you're going, how can we know the way? And I love the honesty there. Let's be real. I, I, I just love that. It doesn't do us any good to play like that game with Jesus in our own life, does it? It's okay for you to say to Jesus, Jesus, I don't know where we're going, and I don't know the way. Jesus, I don't know where you're going, and I don't know the way. Has anyone ever been in that place? You want to follow Jesus, but you don't know where he's going? Thomas asked the question, and Jesus' answer is so profound. He's saying, I'm going to the Father. You know where I'm going. 
you know the way. And I was like, no, I don't. We don't know the way. We don't know where you're going. We don't know the way. And Jesus answers this. And this is a really powerful, I believe Jesus was setting Thomas up. He was setting them all up for this statement because this is important. Verse six, he says, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. Thomas, I'm the way. Thomas, I love your honesty. I don't know where you're going. I don't know the way there. We don't either. And he looks and goes, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one can find their way to the Father. No one can get to the Father except through me. Verse 7, if you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And now it's Philip's turn. I love this. Philip goes, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. So I'm, the, you know, you know the way. Where's the way? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And Philip, and then he goes, and, and you, you will know the Father, for you have seen him. And I'm sure Philip's going, I have? When did I see him? I don't remember that. I think if I were to see Yahweh, if I were to see God, I'd remember that. And here's Jesus' answer. I love this. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been with you for such a long time, three plus years, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the works, the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. They'll do even greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. And whatever I do, whatever, uh, sorry, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Verse 15, if you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and will be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you will know him for he lives with you and will be with, will be in you. There's so much here. And even on verse 20, which we don't on the screen, just read this. And on that day, you will realize that I am in the father and you are in me and I am in you. This whole passage was so powerful to these disciples because in it, Jesus is declaring who he is. And so you've got Jesus up here. If you're on the wings, don't look here. You can look up there. We're a TV generation anyways. By the way, I realized when we were doing this before, this is my best side that you're seeing on the screen right now. And I also know, like right here, it's getting a little thin. So if you can pray for me. Anyways, we've got Jesus who's here, and he makes this statement. And we looked at this a few weeks ago, that this is just just this phrase, I am. And he says this, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
And we're going to look at that. But this is important that we get here. Jesus is saying, don't let your hearts be troubled. I'm going to the Father. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I'm not going to leave you alone. I will be with you and you will be with me. And I will be with the Father. And I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit that's coming. And you're going to realize that I am in the Father. And the Father has been in me. And if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've heard my words, you've heard the words of the Father. I love how Bill Johnson says this, and we're not going to unpack this today, but he says, Jesus is perfect theology. If there is any belief in your heart or mind about the Father, about God, that doesn't live out in Jesus' life, it's a false belief. It's not true. It's an unholy theology that you have. Does that make sense? If you want to know what the heart of the Father is, look at Jesus. Look at his words. Look how he treated people. Look what he was developing. And Jesus' heart is for his disciples. And he's saying, I am the way and the truth and the life. It is my heart's desire that you find your way to the Father. And it comes through me. This wasn't Jesus coming up with hurls to jump through, to jump over, hoops to jump through. He's actually saying, it's my heart's desire is that you would be with the Father as I have been with the Father relationally that we live. And so he's talking about this Father. If you look at this passage, you'll see this over and over again in this passage, especially 14, 15, 16. You'll see... Jesus is talking about his father, his relationship with his father, that he's one with his father, and that he wants his disciples to be the same way. And then he talks about the Holy Spirit. He wants the Holy Spirit to be living so close that the Holy Spirit is inside of us, that as these three live in perfect harmony and communion with each other, that is available for us to live in as well. This whole passage is about Jesus saying, I've got the best way of living. I've modeled it for you. Philip, have you been with me so long and you're still missing this? I have been with you to show you something. I've given you words and I've given you works for you to understand that I am the message of what is available through me in relationship to your father. I'm the way, I'm the truth and the life. These statements were so profound for his disciples that when Jesus says, I am, he's referring to himself, and we looked at this in the first week of the series, he is making himself equal with the great I am of Yahweh. And he's saying the Holy Spirit is the living presence of God in spirit form dwelling within you. And he's modeled that, that we are one. And so when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he's declaring who he is as God. And he's describing his life as what God's life was always meant to look like on earth. In other words, Jesus is the model of what life looks like when we are living in relational harmony with God. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus is referring to the fact that he is salvation, that he is forgiveness, that he is the way that sinful man, that wayward mankind can connect with the father. It's his heart. And so when Jesus is even saying, you know, I can show you the way to the father, the disciples would have been waiting for this their whole life. So when he's saying, I am the way, the truth and the life, 
it was such a profound statement that do you guys realize that the early church, the followers of Jesus, were not known as the church, nor, nor were they originally known as Christians. They were known as the way. That their whole identity was shaped on living from Jesus as the way. Their whole identity. And so Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. By the way, they would have understood this in a different way than we would. Jesus is actually using phraseology that they would have understood, and I'm not going to, this is a whole other message. But before there was the temple, Solomon's temple, and later on in Jesus' time, the temple that Herod the Great built. These big, beautiful buildings with stones. Before all of that, there was a tabernacle because God wanted to dwell in the midst of his people. And so he had this tabernacle, this temporary and mobile site, temple set up that wherever he would lead his people, his presence would dwell. And I'm sure, you know, learned people like Rod or Rick or others can model this out for you in a really big sense. But there were three distinct areas that God designed as the tabernacle, the way then. There was a wall around it, or at least a kind of a fence. It was a linen fence, and there was a gateway to get into the first area. And then there was a gateway to get into the second area, which, and then there was a gate to get into the Holy of Holies where the presence of God dwelt. And there was this progression of kind of like to use a vernacular, getting in God's foyer and then getting into the kitchen and then getting into the bedroom, the place of presence and intimacy in this way. And there was a doorway to go through this. Remember the second week we looked at this and when the statement of Jesus going, I am the gate, I am the doorway. You can see this here because the three passageways of transition in the tabernacle, the three ways they were known as, the first one was called the way. The second one was called the truth. And the third one into the Holy of Holies was called the life. So they would have understood this much better than we do. A Jewish understanding. They would have understood the tabernacle. They would have understood all the parts of God's creative design for them to encounter the presence of the living God was that Jesus is saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You want to get an intimate, most intimate relationship. You want to get into the holy of holies with God. That was God's heart, never for us to be separated from, but to actually dwell in, to live in his presence in such a powerful way. I am the way that that happens. We were created to live in such harmony and such presence of the living God that we can not only be near him, we can have him in us. Jesus is the way. And it affects everything else in life. It affects everything else in life. The way and the truth. What Jesus was not saying is, Hey guys, 
You want to you have intimacy with the Father? Well, there's a whole new system I'm coming up with. And if you just sign up for these classes, if you just go through these hoops, if you just do, you know, if you just have this set up come into your play, then you're going to have it all. He's not saying that at all. He's saying, if you put your trust in me, if you live with me and in me and follow me and surrender your life to me, you can have what you have always wanted. And it will affect every area of your being because you were created for it. Some of us are going, what the heck does that have to do with me living in Hartford County in the 21st century? Well, first of all, I want to apologize and say it is human nature to take all that Jesus was saying and to try to reduce it into a system of religion that is minus the presence of the heart of God. And so I want to apologize on behalf of leadership, pastors in general, who have fallen into the same trap that his disciples had to live with of a system of connecting with God without God. Sorry, I'm doing real-time editing right now. Every culture that has thrived, and I love how Mark Sayers puts this, every culture that has thrived has had at least three, but we'll just talk about three meaningful parts to every culture and the individuals living within a culture. You know, we live in a culture because we're individuals who live within that culture. Does that make sense? Those three things are this. Freedom. Meaning and community. If I've spelled any of these wrong, peace be upon you. These three things involved in our life will help replenish and refuel us in certain ways. We know we are inherently born with these three needs in our life that we will try to meet in some way, either individually or collectively, to fill who we are. I love how Mark says this because he's an Aussie and we lived in Australia too. And um, Australia has, uh, has lived with drought for a long time. And so the way that, one of the ways that they deal with drought is that everybody has to put a rainwater tank onto your house that collects all the rainwater. So when it does rain, you have a replenishment of it and it fills the rain, the, the rainwater tank and you can use it for your garden and you can use it for your toilets and your washing machine and things like that. And, and you know, when the rain comes and fills your, your water tank, you can, you can water your garden and so on. But when your rainwater tank is empty, then the drought takes over. Does that make sense? And what we're saying is that these three things help fill the tank of who we are that we live from the overflow. And so those three areas, and I'll connect them if time allows to what we're talking about today. The first one is freedom. If some of you maybe have been born into a a country or a place or a time that is not like America, that does not have the freedom that we have and enjoy. 
We, this rainwater tank for our culture is the one that is probably overflowing more than any other. We live in a free country. Am I right? And as uh, for some of you who have grown up in America, grown up in our culture, we value freedom so much. And actually, most Western culture has lived in freedom. America is not the only country that has freedom. And we live in the overflow of freedom. And in fact, freedom has for us become so paramount that it affects every other area of our life. We want freedom. We value freedom. If we're to be honest, we actually have made freedom an idol. Because now we are free to make so many different choices. We can have freedom, and we love our freedom as Americans. We love it in so many different ways. Now we go to restaurants, and we're looking up at these amazing menus, and we're like, wow, talk about freedom. And and not only do we have freedom of choice, and that's, by the way, freedom is often defined as the ability to make choice. I also like how Tony Campolo says, you know if you're wealthy, if you have choice. If you had a choice of what to eat this morning, if you had a choice of what to wear this morning, if you had a choice of how to get here this morning, if you had choices today, you know that compared to most of the world, you are already wealthy. Choice is the place where freedom comes into action into manifesting itself. And so for our world, freedom has become so important to us. Am I right in this? And so not only do we have a multitude of choices and freedom of choice, then on top of that, we can individualize it. It's, it's, it's make your own. It's DYI everything. And so not only can I see this amazing menu of 4,000 things that I can order from, then I can also say, but here's how I would like my coffee. I want my decaf, half-calf, oak, chai, sugar-free, vanilla, hazelnut, latte. And I want it in this size. Can you put it in a takeaway cup? But I don't want full 16 ounces, so can you put 12 ounces in there? But I want it in a 16-ounce cup. And don't you dare tell me that that's not an option. (laughs) Am I right? But now we've done that with everything in life. We're freedom. And if anyone says that we are not free to do something, there's something inside of us that rises up and says, no, I am an individual and I will have freedom. Even though that freedom is paralyzing me. Because I have so many choices that I'm actually struggling with anxiety because I don't know which choice to make. And if I make a choice, now I'm living with FOMO of what could happen with the choices I didn't make. FOMO means fear of missing out. And so we want freedom to choose whatever we want to do. And even things that have traditionally been limited in some capacity because sometimes limits are actually healthy. We've erased those limits. And so we take that thinking and we bring it into the way, the truth, and the life. And so we're trying to make our way to Jesus. But what we're saying is, Jesus, I want it my way.
And so we come to church and we come to other forms of faith and we read scripture. And anytime we see something that says, hmm, that seems like a limit. That seems like something I, I would prefer not to be a part of or to do. Then I'm just going to choose a different way. Does that make sense? And so Jesus says, I am the way. And we're like, well, I believe that to be true until he starts talking to me about my finances or my sexuality or my relationships or my generosity or my tongue or my language or about how I treat people or how I see the world or how I view people or how I treat my children or the way I relate to my boss. And we go, well, Jesus, you you are the way, but can you actually not talk about any of my freedoms that I want to have and maintain? You can see I'm already pushing some sensitive buttons. And then meaning, we were created for something bigger than ourselves. We were created for purpose and on purpose. And if we have a creator, there's a purpose to which we've been created. And so the way of Jesus says, you were created on purpose. You are there for significance. You are not an accident of biology and time. You have meaning. And we know that internally. And so we're looking for meaning everywhere. The problem is, is when freedom to do whatever we want, whenever we want, however we want comes into play, everything loses its meaning and its purpose. And so we see people over and over again trying to find meaning in their life that is completely guided by their own sense of freedom. The problem is, is that meaning only gets lived out through sacrifice. Because it's impossible to be for something and it to cost you nothing. And so Jesus starts speaking to his disciples about the cost of following him in the way. The sacrifice that it takes to make that. And our freedom says, you know what? I'd rather not do that. So that's an option to me. But the reality is, is how does a way that starts with the brutal sacrifice of our leader end in a place where freedom costs us nothing? Does that make sense? To follow the way of Christ will cost you something And the reality is, in our culture, because we have so much freedom, we don't fully understand sacrifice, and that sacrifice often brings the meaning we're looking for. Everything you've attempted to be about in your life has cost you sacrifice, has cost you something. And if it didn't cost you something, my guess is it wasn't very meaningful. If you're an athlete, you're going to have to sacrifice to be good at it. And if you're a follower of Jesus, in fact, to live the way that Jesus created us to live, it's full of meaning, but it takes laying down everything.
I got to keep going. Community. You and I were built. By the way, how we know what we're called, what our meaning is, comes from his truth. You try to live and develop meaning in your life without the truth of who he is and live either in a false identity or in relativism, there's no meaning in it. It's empty. It's hollow. And your sacrifices will be in vain or you won't be willing to make them because you're not sure it comes from a place of truth. And if everybody has a truth, then there's no meaning in sacrifice. Community. You and I were made to live in community. Even before mankind was created, community existed. This is the model of perfect community. We have settled in our world merely for connection, but our heart is longing for community. And real community gives meaning because it comes from Jesus. Real Community also means sacrifice, because if you try to live from a place where I'm in charge and I get to choose, you will may have connection, but you will never have community, because community always costs. One of the most frustrating things is to try to live in community, real community, real thing, but then when it takes commitment, by the way, sacrifice is another word for commitment, or commitment is another word for sacrifice. Because it's impossible to commit to something without it costing you something else. Right? So if you want community, it's going to cost you time. It's going to cost you yourself. You're going to actually have to put some of your personal preferences that you would like to express on the back burner for the sake of community because you can't have community where everyone gets together and is fighting for their personal individuality and freedom. However, true community gives real freedom because within it, we get to celebrate our individuality as we've come together in Jesus to have community and all the sacrifices we're willing to have. You know what Jesus was trying to give us? Was not just a gathering, because in gathering, you have a level of connection. It was never Jesus' heart just to have a gathering of followers. He always wanted it to be a community. It's great when we have connection because you actually can't have community without connection. But if this is all we're ever willing to have or know how to have, we will never have the meaning of our life. And I actually believe that's where the true freedom of Jesus lives. You will never be able to have true heart freedom apart from meaningful community. And there's a lot more I can say, but I will say this. It is impossible for any person or culture. It's impossible for any person or culture to have these three meaningful things take place in their life. Divorced from Jesus.
And that's what Jesus was saying. Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Everything you desire and were created for can only be realized through me. Wellspring, that's what we were created for. That's what we're called to do. And I don't know about you, but I am so tired, and I actually believe our culture is too. When we're even trying to live these out, and call it church without the reigning, ruling presence of the living God. Because what we really want is we want a kingdom without a king. And we want the protection of a good shepherd without having a shepherd lead us and we surrender and follow. And I believe the Lord is bringing us to a place where we are so dissatisfied with anything that smells like this without this because we know it's not real. We know it's not real. And our world is becoming so divided because we're looking for freedom, meaning, and community in anything And so now politics has become our new religion and our new way of belonging. So if I can just find ways of expressing community, then I'll be have meaning in my life. But if it costs me something, I'll just pick and choose. And the whole time Jesus is going, it's empty, it's hollow, and those systems are failing. Beloved, maybe it's time. for us to have another upper room encounter where Jesus looks at us and says, it's all about me. It's all about me. And I am not a dictator. I'm a good shepherd. And if you surrender everything to me, it will affect every way You think every way you live and how you organize it in your time, in your talents, in every area of life. And it will transform you. And you will become fully alive. I love how Jesus says this. And Wes was talking about, I am the good shepherd. In that passage of John 10, He says, the thief comes to steal, steal, kill, and destroy. But I came that you may have what? Life. And have it abundantly. We all want the abundant life that comes with the good shepherd. Are we willing to surrender relationally? to his leading, and for him to be the way.
Wouldn't it be great if there was a community of people that were all trying to live the way of Jesus out in our world? Wouldn't that be awesome? It was his plan. It's his desire. And what it takes is not greater organization. It takes greater surrender to him, knowing that when we give all to him, he's the one who gives the life we've always called to live out, created for, long for. By the way, that goes back to verse one. No matter what happens in our world, when we're surrendered to the presence and the person of Jesus, it can all get nuts. And he speaks to our hearts. And he comes near to us. And he shepherds us. And he loves us. And he speaks to us. And he comforts us. And miracles break out. And when we do it together, it's a lot more fun. Isn't that good?